Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking to Motorsport Games CEO, Dimitri Costco once again. You'll remember Dimitri from our episode we recorded last summer talking about Le Mans. Dimitri, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mitch. Always a pleasure to speak to you. I'm so happy to have you back. For people who missed that first episode, Motorsport Games is a leading developer, publisher, and esports ecosystem creator for titles like NASCAR, Le Mans, and more. Racing Esports had a massive explosion back in spring as they were the first sports sim to get virtual competitions running after the sports showdown. They were also the most popular. E-NASCAR events consistently drew over 1 million viewers on linear TV, a mark very few, if any, esports competitions have ever reached. In January, Motorsport Games went live on NASDAQ and will be trading under the ticker MSGM. The company opened up for trading at a share price of $20 and climbed all the way up to $35 on the day of the IPO. The stock is currently trading for a price of about $27 as I look at it on Wednesday, February 21st. On this show, we're going to be talking about why racing esports have worked out so well, why now made sense to take the company public, and how that will affect the company's goals going forward. But first, Dimitri, you schooled me on this, so I want to make sure this is clear to the audience as well. What is the difference between iRacing and what Motorsport Games does? Sure. Thank, thanks, Mitch, for bringing that up. I think uh, it is an important differentiation to put out there. So uh, iRacing is a is a great platform, uh, somebody we will regard uh, but they are very, very different than what Motorsport Games does. So iRacing is uh, essentially not really a video game. It's it's more of a training simulation. A lot of uh, drivers, professional drivers, on their downtime, when they're not actually racing, they're brushing up their skills using this type of simulation. So this is not uh, a game that has essentially licensed content. Uh, this is not the game where all skill levels are welcome. So iRacing is, is literally the easiest way to put it, is, is a training simulation if you're trying to become a driver, learn a track, and so on. Uh, motorsport games focuses on all skill levels, right? We're not just on gaming PCs. We are on regular PCs, on consoles, on mobile. So that means uh, we are the official games, for example, for NASCAR, so when you do go to your local store and you pick up a, a NASCAR brand, the game, that's motorsport games. That is something that we're putting out there uh, accessible to all skill levels of all ages. All our games are rated E. And I think important differentiation uh, between something that's accessible to all versus something that's accessible to uh, something to train on is that the equipment that you use. Right, training simulation, you need steering wheel, you need pedals, you need a seat, you need all types of stuff. Uh, you need to do a setup of it as you get going. When you pick up a motorsport games game, uh, you literally just either download it on your Xbox or put a disc in your PlayStation and just run on a, on a controller. Have fun with your family, right? It's more of a fun type of mass market product compared to uh, something that, that folks use as a, tr as a serious training tool. So I would say that that's the quickest, uh, uh, differentiation. And there, there's a bunch more that we could get into if you like. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I see those two conflated. I was even conflating them until you told me, Hey, this is what this is. And here's what we do. Uh, yeah, it basically sounded the difference of like, this is what a tech goalie simulator looks like in man use offices versus here's FIFA. 
So a big difference there exactly. when you really break it down. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and they tell the different stories, right? Uh, our products uh, bring out kind of the soul of the of let let's keep using NASCAR just for for example, right? So we focus on the fun gameplay environment, the the things that surround you. Uh, as you race, right? So it's not more than just going on a track and replicating, you know, proper physics and things like that. That's what training simulation is for. Ours is you go out there on the track, you have fun. Before you get on a track, you experience what NASCAR uh, uh, world is like, right? Something that uh, training simulation platforms don't focus on, don't care for, because they really only focus on bettering uh, driving skills. We don't focus on bettering driving skills. We focus on bringing fun to the masses. Therefore, the gameplay is is actually different. Therefore, the surrounding environment is very different. Uh, therefore, we're available on all types of platforms, including mobile, right? You, you're not necessarily going to become a better driver by driving a racing game in mobile. So, <laughs> uh, Just like I don't think anybody would expect to be better at soccer by playing a lot of FIFA, although maybe they that... get there. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's it's a key difference and one that's uh, important to highlight. I think it's a conflated, particularly in racing games, a little bit more due to how I don't want to say common, but I guess you, we've had like these uh, arcades for in particular have had racing, you know, the the pedals and the like drive across America games for like sure. two decades now. So people see those machines a little more commonly than they'd see like a full vr rig which is what it would take to to do a trading simulator uh for maybe a sport that is outside of a car so i think that's why maybe it gets a little more conflated uh at times but i appreciate you breaking down that distinction yeah i i think the you know it, it became a little bit confusing when uh we're putting on esport events uh especially during the COVID times right last year uh, and when the actual races halted, we quickly, as Motorsport Games, stepped in and helped out a lot of official race series to keep their fans engaged, right, with the entertainment that they're so passionate about. And that engagement, you know, came with putting on formats that look like racing, and and therefore it looked very similar where some of our folks had uh, steering wheels and pedals. And even though they were having a lot of fun and providing big entertainment value for that captive audience, uh, it, it did start becoming confusing because people are like, oh, wait a minute, they're on steering wheels and pedals. Are they really training? I see real drivers participating in this. So are they using their training rig or they're playing a game? So, so there was some uh, confusion out there, but uh, it, it was great. It was great for us to put a real spotlight of what uh, driving games could become in terms of entertainment for the masses. It was also a pretty cool moment in esports. It was right after uh, NASCAR was, I believe, the first major sports property to get virtual competitions running after COVID shut down their races. You know, in mid March, basically every single sport that was currently operating shut down. It was like, okay, we're done. The NBA, the NHL, MLB said, hey, we're, we're done with spring training. And NASCAR was in the middle of its uh, circuits. And within, I think it was two weeks, I think they missed one weekend. And by the next weekend, they had a virtual competition up and running. Uh, and it was incredibly popular. It was one of the first sports-like events that anybody had seen after, after COVID. Could you dial back a year and remember what what happened 
in those first two weeks that allowed NASCAR to be the uh, earliest sports property to get a virtual competition up and running after COVID set everything in disarray. Sure. And I think it's important to highlight that NASCAR is very good uh, forward looking, right? Uh, they uh, a lot of people had to scramble and figure out, well, what do we do? Because it's it's abnormal. NASCAR is always trying to push the envelope. We love them as a partner. They're always exploring new things. How do they engage more audience, uh, wider demographics, and so on? So esports was not a new thing to NASCAR. Uh, we were running a pro league at that point uh, on season two already. They had also on eNASCAR their iRacing series for I think like a, almost 10 seasons by that point. So it was a normal thing of them having a virtual events happening, right? We, we were very successful of attracting millions of viewers into our pro league. So for NASCAR to have to have held their uh, actual physical events back, this was a very quick conversations that we were able to have and say, you know, here are the tools on the table. We already know how to conduct these things. Let's go out there and do it. So because they wanted to use uh, actual drivers, right, the drivers that are participating in the sport itself, and because those drivers had those training simulations uh, in their facilities, right, remember everybody was kind of locked away back, back in those days. So it was very natural to just almost like flip a switch and go to market with a virtual replacement. So NASCAR is very progressive in terms of uh, experimenting with different things, seeing what sticks. And then when they came to those unfortunate times about a year ago, um, it did put NASCAR in an advantageous position to pivot quickly and have uh, something that was worthy of entertainment. And I think the the customers out there or the fans out there or the passionate group out there was, was really scratching their head and saying, Wow, this is this is really cool. We didn't expect this to be like that in a virtual environment. Yeah, I just remember seeing walls and walls of people who were just like, "Oh, I kind of get esports now." Like it, it yes. that was the way it was delivered, and it was to an audience that generally did not watch esports, and they watched a couple of eNASCAR races and were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Uh, this makes sense to me. I get why watching people play video games is fun and enjoyable. It's actually not." this drastically different thing from watching sports in, in quite a few ways. Uh, and, you know, whatever it takes to get people to get esports, I think is a great thing for the industry. You're absolutely right. And because NASCAR was very quick to pivot, we had an entire motorsport industry, the likes of Formula E, the World Rallycross, the Le Mans and, and other series turn to us and say, hey, we know you've been doing uh, esports with NASCAR. Uh, you know, they, they pivoted really quick. Can you help us? Uh, and essentially, we were able to really quickly step in and run uh, the virtual series for Formula E while they were not able to conduct the races. Uh, well, Rallycross, right? We already talked about Le Mans, but that one we've been doing for multiple seasons already. But something that really pushed the envelope of all types of records uh, in, in the virtual driving environment is this Le Mans virtual event that we're talking about that last podcast, which was so exciting, but that was the largest virtual esport event ever by in terms of viewership. I don't think anybody understood that tens of millions of people could watch a virtual race live. And needless to say, that was a 24 hour continuous race. 
So talking about pushing the boundaries of technology, esport broadcasting capabilities, uh, broadcasters around the world. There were 16 linear broadcasters around the world that were broadcasting this race, including ESPN here in US. So that was really eye-opening. So it started off with NASCAR kind of uh, being there with their innovation at the right time, us carrying the flag for the rest of the motorsport industry, uh, and then really putting an explanation mark when we did that biggest uh, virtual race ever. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And the the Le Mans episode was one of my all-time favorite uh, episodes we, we've we done on this show just because of how interesting it is and how unique it was in the esports world. And that we recorded that ahead of the event. So we, we were just talking about how how crazy these plans were. The fact that it was pulled off and was so successful is a, is a credit to, to Motorsport Games' uh, success, not just as a developer, but as an esports organizer and platformer that is one of the hardest things to do in this industry is deliver that type of content in different languages, uh, get the word out and get people involved and watching without you know massive amounts of technical difficulties that often come with a lot of esports events. You're right. And now because I think the... The fans woken up to this. They seen how entertaining and exciting it could be. The participants, right? The real world drivers, the virtual drivers, everybody got a, an exciting entertainment value out of this. Folks are pinging us all the time. When is the next Le Mans virtual event? When is the next, you know, NASCAR uh, Pro League series event? When are is the next uh, Formula E event and so on? So uh, it's really exciting time. So we, we couldn't be happier about this. And that kind of gets to one of the core questions on this podcast over the last month or so, which is we're coming up on the one-year mark of COVID shutting down almost every sport uh, across the world. And we're beginning to focus more on the question of what sticks from this. You know, what was temporary band-aids placed over to to mend the sports schedule and then sports came back and uh, they're out of sight, out of mind. I think some of the NBA 2K events, some of the EMLS things, they, they were interesting, but I don't expect them to return this spring while they can actually run their leagues. Uh, but racing esports in particular were, again, among the early adopters, very, very successful. What are conversations like with these properties? What do you think happened during COVID that is going to stick and is going to have a lasting impact uh, on this genre going forward? I think everybody got a taste of how entertaining uh, virtual racing esports could be. And that comes from participants, uh, the rights holders, the broadcasters, uh, the viewers, the fans, uh, social communities, etc. It, it really accelerated the adoption. We, we, we as a you know, virtual racing uh, kind of community didn't have to go out there and sell folks on try, try, try. There were all kind of uh, were forced essentially to try because they needed a virtual replacement of physical events because of the results that that generated. Like back to our Le Mans virtual event, right? More than 14 million people watched that event live. That's a single event, more than 14 million live viewers on that event. That's significant numbers of people that got a chance to experience that entertainment value. You can't take that away from folks. So now they're seeking more of that. So to go to your uh, question is with a strong believer, specifically in the virtual racing community and space, that esports, now that they've been 
exposed to how entertaining this could be and how exciting this could be, both from competitive standpoint of view and viewership standpoint of view, that's here to stay. All we see now is folks want to do more. Uh, folks want to have uh, more exciting events, more participation in events. Uh, more people are buying even steering wheels. They, they're all of a sudden got preview to that racing is fun. It's really fun. And watching racing is really fun. And it's really dramatic. And they're, and it's a cross-generation sport from viewership and participation perspective. right? If you look at some of the other gaming genres out there, it's not necessarily that you're going to sit, you know, with your grandpa uh, on the couch and, and watch, you know, League of Legends. I, I don't know if that's if that would be something or, or Fortnite, if that would be something that's understood. But racing is something that's understood. Everybody got a chance to taste the excitement of it. So all we see is now a ramp up happening now that the COVID times are uh, a little bit different than they were a year ago. Yeah, the grandpa point is a is a very interesting one in esports, and I I find it difficult to understand what's happening in esports that I don't play, and this is what I do for my career. Uh, sometimes I'll watch an Overwatch game, and because of how quick the meta changes, you might be familiar with the game at one point, stop watching for a few months, and then <laughs> suddenly you're like, wait, sorry, what what just happened? And if that's how somebody who literally covers this industry for their career views some esports events that's a challenge in, in grabbing right. an audience that we're hoping esports can eventually grab and i'm not sure what the solution is to that because the games do need to be complex to keep them interesting although games like rocket league have done a really great job and even csgo have done a really great job of uh, staying pretty similar and allowing the meta to develop through the players and not through uh continued updates not that there's anything wrong with that it's an interesting uh struggle that all esports properties have to deal with but you also mentioned how these events captured an older generation and that's what i was also getting to with the wall of people who now understand esports who get it and we haven't actually seen that you think okay it's a sports simulation well that it, it makes it easier to adopt but that hasn't happened for a lot of the other sports simulations i think fifa is definitely the most popular of all of them but they don't even have a great like league structure on the esports side the NBA 2K League really struggles for viewers. Madden feels all over the place. And I think if you sat your grandpa down to watch any one of those, they'd be like, what? Or maybe <laughs> depending on how their uh, eyesight has deteriorated, they might be like, oh, this is a great game. And not... <laughs> that's, that's my grandma. I love her. Love her to death. But I, I don't... If I think if I put an NBA 2K League game on there, she would not know that she was not watching the actual Lakers. Uh, but uh, irregardless to all of that, E-NASCAR and, and sim racing has been incredibly popular and the viewership showed that. So can you make the case for why E-NASCAR or sim racing in general could be the biggest uh, subsection of sports simulations across esports? Absolutely. So uh, first of all, we already talked about how folks got a chance to uh, experience this entertainment. But one thing we didn't touch on, this is very unique to simulation world than it is to any other um esports out there with a different gaming genre this one shares the same controllers as the real world right everybody could understand that a steering wheel you turn left you go left you turn right you go right etc right so it just strikes a different emotional chord for folks that are participating and those that are watching because they could really relate and understand 
that uh, you know these are the same controllers that you would do in the real world. So when somebody's virtually racing, right? It's and and they're turning their steering wheel left and right and pressing the pedals. The viewer and the participant just experiences a different type of uh, uh, emotion than they do when they're playing their joysticks in FIFA, right? Yes, FIFA is extremely popular. It's an extremely popular sport overall. But those that are very good in those esports, they don't really believe that, or, or at least not in the same emotional level, that they will be a great player out there in the field. But participants in a virtual racing really do believe and there are some studies out there that show that they could really be some somebody and somebody really fast in the real world too so i think that virtual racing as uh the only type of esports that shares those same controllers as the real world does just goes to a, a little bit deeper and in, in a, a little bit different uh dimension uh for both the participant and the viewers uh, than anything else like NBA 2K or or others. Absolutely agree. I think there's also something to be said for the modeling of the cars compared to uh, human on human contact and what the uh, physical sports need to replicate, which is a very complex set of inputs of how two humans would interact. Say they're uh, driving past somebody on a basketball court uh, because it's two cars interacting. That's a little bit of uh, their physics that are not. I don't want to make that sound like it's a really easy thing to model correctly because it's not, but it's something that feels a little more natural, I think, because at, at its core, it's still two machines interacting with each other and modeling it in viewership, at least from what I've seen, it feels a lot more like a real race than watching NBA 2K where it looks something just looks off about it. And I think a big part of that too That's is right. just the, the fact that it runs through cars and not two humans trying to interact, which just is such a complex interaction that it makes it almost impossible to model accurately in a way that looks realistic. Of course, uh, you know, humans have so much tissue and so much movement in their body to replicate that accurately. Uh, so the eye doesn't pick up the difference between real world and the virtual world. Uh, is much different than, like you're saying, look at the car. You know, the car is not going to have something happen to uh, to it unless it crashes or so on. Uh, so it is easier to model out in the virtual world. And it does look realistic, you know, unless, of course, the car starts flying when it hits something <laughs> that, that seems a little odd, then your eye picks up the differences. But in NBA 2K, you know, your your player moves a little bit strange to the left. Your eye will grasp on that and say, that that's not how fluid it really is in the real life. So I think you're absolutely right. It is a big advantage in the virtual racing that we have this benefit, right? So we could then uh, invest more time and resources into making things look great uh, visually more so than how do we really portray the 3D model of a person? Because that person is really inside the cockpit. Right. Right. It's all about their inputs and their inputs can run through uh, their controller set, which matches what a car uh, has. All right. That's we right. need to talk about the IPO. I could talk to you for literally over an <laughs> <Sure>. hour <laughs> and we're 23 minutes in and we haven't even really talked uh, about the IPO and how it's uh, affected the company in some ways. So about a month 
after the IPO now. The stocks had a little bit chance to, to settle down. We're through the SEC mandated quiet period. Is there anything notable that's really changed in the day-to-day operations since the IPO or is it kind of business as usual? You know, excitement level is high, right? Uh, when, when we embark on this journey, we knew that uh, the limiting factor of us achieving our dream, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, could be creativity and resources, right? So creativity really caps your your kind of capability, right? If you're super, super creative, you could create super, super things. But then it goes to resources. And if your resources are limiting your creativity, then you could only do as much. So when we said that, our, our vision is here to stay. Our vision is to become the household brand name for virtual racing altogether. And, and our mission is really to bring the joy to the masses through racing games because of that passion that we talked about earlier. Only thing we needed to fulfill our dream is to create a platform for ourselves, you know, being financially and also uh, sort of our, our, our flag on the planet games, I call it internally, right? So as soon as we plant that flag, folks would understand that uh, we're here to stay. And that's for the game industry, motorsport industry, viewership, esports, etc. So embarking on a journey during the tough times like the 2020 has presented, and then being able to complete a successful IPO in the beginning of 2021, just really solidified our position, right? We now have the proper platform to really enable our dreams, to really enable this passionate group of individuals that we have collected at Motorsport Games, those that are all extremely passionate about virtual racing, real racing, and just building great products and experiences, whether they're esports or within the gaming environment. Now they have the right platform to flourish. And also, almost as equally as important, you know, the rights holders, right? So when we talk about NASCAR, Le Mans, British Touring Car Championship, and many others that we inspire to collect in our portfolio, all of a sudden also know that we're going to be handling their IP very, very properly. Not to say that private companies do something that's, that's not correct, but it is an additional assurance, right? We're a public company. We're super transparent. Uh, we have the resources and the means to really exploit our vision, therefore benefit those IP holders at the same time as we benefit ourselves. So the morale in the company is excited. Everybody is unleashed their creativity. Uh, we're putting more proper resources into the games and esport experience that we create. We are already on our path and creating three franchises simultaneously, the NASCAR, the Le Mans, and the British Touring Car Championship. We're working on others. So we're overly excited about the future ahead. I love to hear it. Again, that's trading on MSGM on NASDAQ right now at $27, opened up at 20 jumped all the way up to 35 and now you can get it for a bargain at $27. So it's a really cool company. And I, I love to talk to people who have just gone through an IPO because it is usually the culmination or at least just a major marker on a long journey of a point that, hey, you know, this is something that we want to reach one day. When did you start putting the wheels in motion for, hey, okay, I think we're we're getting this company to a place where an IPO uh, makes sense for us and we could, we could really 
take this public. Do you remember when you started sort of flipping your your braid towards that mindset? You know, the, the dream of motorsport games was born out of our parent company, Motorsport Network. Um, I was leading operations there globally uh, a few years ago, and Motorsport Network always knew that either itself or any of its subsidiaries would go public, uh, even from day one, all the way back in 2015 when that company was formed. So we audited our business to uh, public company standards when we really didn't have to. But the reason we did that is we knew that one day it will be the right moment for either the parent company or any one of its subsidiaries to go public. Once uh, we realized that a big portion of that community uh, had a gaming console, and once we realized we had an opportunity to enter into the gaming space, from that day on, it was apparent that we could uh, build something extraordinary. And that's why I literally essentially stepped down as the COO of a parent company and went and, and sunk my teeth in with a, with one of the greatest people that I got a chance to ever work with uh, to really fulfill this vision. So really, when I when I even came, it was already known that we will eventually uh, take this into a public arena. But more importantly, we knew that becoming a public company will really become a platform for us to uh, fulfill our kind of vision. And one thing we, we definitely wanted to do is it, to fulfill that vision and not be limited by uh, some sort of factor. And we wanted to be very open and very public about what the vision is. So while we're all doing that, uh, all of a sudden, Codemaster goes through a bidding war between EA and Take-Two and everything. So that just adds more fuel to the fire, saying that, you know, we, we really got to get out there. We really got to tell our story. We really got to build our platform and let those that want to participate in our journey participate. Now that Codemaster is part of EA, you know, what, what is else is there that a, a regular uh, consumer or investor or somebody could participate in? right? That's that's similar to us. And I would argue that's not that many. So it became kind of like a, almost a perfect storm. We had a vision, regardless of market conditions, we knew that that's what we wanted to do. But with all the other uh, tailwinds and, and, and micros that uh, happened, it just worked out extremely well. And now we couldn't be more happier to, to start, you know, re really executing on what we're here to do. Absolutely. I want to I want to ask a little bit about what uh, your future plans are. For people unfamiliar, Codemasters is the official games of Formula One, one of the other uh, major companies in the sim racing space. And yeah, acquired by EA. What was that two months ago now? So not not too long ago. Yeah, not too long ago. They just approved that one point two billion dollars. Not change. one point two billion dollars. Wow. Uh, yeah, sim racing is having a little bit of a moment, if you couldn't tell. Uh, so, Dimitri, as you go forward, what are some of your plans? I'm especially curious about how, now that races have returned, we're, we're basically back to, mm -hmm. to sports, not quite as usual, but pretty dang close to it. And it seems like we've really rounded the corner here with COVID and we're going to be out of this in the next couple of months, uh, you know, as as hopefully you know i i can't like sure. be optimistic about anything after the last year but it seems like we're really headed out and sports in particular have started up again 
what is motorsports games plan to tie these virtual competitions into physical races you know as their way to uh, what's the strategy to make them work in lockstep kind of I think because folks got a chance to experience this form of entertainment, uh, they're seeking it in parallel with, the, let's call it the physical world. So what we envision is that there's a lot of uh, hybrid of where when you attend to a physical world, there'll be some virtual world part of it, right? That could be as simple as activations at the racetracks, uh, where those that desire could participate or view or, you know, vice versa. Uh, we will see that I think because of that, uh, shared the same controllers that, that we talked about earlier, right? We will continue to see that folks pick up a racing game, get inspired, get introduced to uh, the world of NASCAR, for example, that wouldn't normally be introduced to, and through the world of gaming, enter into the physical world, so into the physical sport. Because as, as you get super excited about it, as you enjoy yourself, you know, racing and, and NASCAR is not just oval, right? So there, there is uh, uh, perceptions out there that folks get a chance to break once they uh, even play the game. All of a sudden, they uh, open up their eyes that, you know what, maybe I want to go, uh, go to the NASCAR event and experience that. And it's certainly our goal. It's certainly NASCAR's goal. And without even... Uh, getting the full breath of it, when the uh, fan gets into this virtual world, they all of a sudden uh, understand that the real world it could be just as exciting. So we see that happening both ways. Games being at the physical events and uh, games bringing more people to the physical events. Absolutely. And I don't have the stat in front of me. I'm sure you probably know it. Uh, I believe NASCAR was one of the had one of the oldest demographics when it came to who was watching the sport alongside like the MLB where other sports leagues as particularly in America trended younger like NBA 2K or like NBA uh, even football uh, MLS is is more popular with younger people here uh, in the US is that accurate that NASCAR had one of the older audiences and that esports could be really a great way uh, of pushing that that back down towards closer to the medium I would say that's a perception. I wouldn't say okay. that that's a, that's an accurate uh, statement, even though I don't know the, the exact one, so I don't want to speak of, of, of exact. But uh, one thing I tell you for sure, being at you know multiple NASCAR events and, and other racing events, but NASCAR in particular, it's a multi-generation experience. You have you know families coming together to these events and they're experiencing this. So uh, you see a lot of kids at the events coming with their parents and and other groups right and and you see the joy of the family environment that it creates and the family excitement it creates same thing in the game right this is why i say the the racing games carry that cross generation uh excitement less so than you know um any any other genres that you could think of in the gaming world so because of that i do believe that uh the real stat is somewhere in the middle, somewhere that uh, encapsulates the young demographics. You know, there's five-year-olds at the track. There's, you know, tons of tons of those folks uh, that are having similar joy as, uh, let's say, perceptually older ones. But as far as our games are concerned, our stats are definitely skewing uh, younger. Uh, they're definitely 
the community sentiment and and the demographics we're seeing who is engaging with our products on social uh, is uh, on the younger side. Our esport participants uh, are younger. Some are in late teens and and so on, and they're, and they're winning, which is exciting, right? Uh, so we do see that uh, NASCAR is an example, but it does cross other um, racing disciplines uh, that it also, uh, I wouldn't say, skews older. Interesting, interesting. I did find a study uh, from Sports Business Journal. It's from 2017, so a little bit outdated, and uh, NASCAR's continued focus on esports might have actually pushed this younger. All right, do you want me to, to go through it? Sure. Uh, but before you do that, the, one of the things important to see uh, besides 2020 of what NASCAR did with uh, eNASCAR, uh, but also look at the excitement around the sport right now. Michael Jordan entered into the sport and he obviously has a, a, a slew of, of uh, fans behind him that love to be part of whatever he's part of. Right, you have uh, Pitbull that just in, uh, entered the sport and became a, team, a co-team owner as well. So there's so much new momentum that wasn't there in 17, 18, or you know, arguably 19, and so on. That's gonna you know broaden the sport quite a bit. And I think the sport is super ripe for it. I think the folks at NASCAR are are very forward uh, thinking about this and excited. And I think the you know, the trendsenders like Pitbull, uh, MJ, obviously, of the world, all this with, I would argue, whatever the stat you're going to read to me next will probably be different next time we talk. <laughs> well, and that's that's kind of why I wanted to read it, because I think it's the data that backs up why NASCAR has been so digital focused and digital forward, especially in recent years, uh, because they were seeing, maybe this is a outdated perception, but they did see a... Uh, rapidly aging audience in the early part of this last decade. So the study I found is the average age in 2000, 2006, and 2016. And in 2006, NASCAR was the average age of 49, which is right where college football, college basketball, uh, the MLB was a little bit older, NFL was at 46. So right around that same thing, and then the NBA and MLS are down there at 40. But according to this study, the average age of 2016 went all the way up to 58 went up nine years in 10 years. So basically, the NASCAR for almost a decade really struggled to capture new viewers is what that says. And in recent years, they've done a great job embracing esports. And I think that highlights over the last five years why they put such a big emphasis on this and why it's been successful, especially in COVID times where, hey, this is something that we are ready to do because we've been thinking about this for a while now. And, you know, the the investments of other Jordan's always been a big racing fan. He used to have a motorcycle racing team mm -hmm. uh, back in his playing days. I, I remember that the Jordan uh, Jordan racing team. Uh, so I'm really interested to see what they're doing. But it does look like their audience was aging fairly quickly. And they're like, OK, we're going to do something about it. And we're going to do something about it quick. I, I honestly, you know, when I look at stats like that and, and, you know, studies, I always try to look for the fine print. You know, who did they survey? Where did they survey the, these folks uh, that derived these statistics? Because on the game stats, when people are not proactively entering their age or something like this, and we're able to look at it, it's not like that. And when you go visit a NASCAR event, it doesn't seem like that. I wouldn't nowhere close average it in, in 50s when you 
just sit there and look around, right? You will get a chance to notice that it's not really what is perceived. So that's why I'm so excited, you know, to be part of the NASCAR world, the Le Mans world, the British Touring Car Championship world, and other race series is that this is a cross-generation sport and it has a massive potential to continue to grow with the younger folks, right? They, they are inspired by racing. They are, uh, you know, they, they do find it as a exciting and emotional sport uh, that's not emotional by, you know, shooting up a virtual world, right? Th those are different emotions. These are more, I would say, more positive emotions, if anything, if I was to label. So it's exciting. Absolutely. One other thing I should say about that data is that is only viewership on TV and every single sport, <laughs> the age went up over that decade because... As everyone knows, young people are cord cutting. Uh, they're That's watching right. less cable TV in terms of streaming. They are watching Twitch. They are watching YouTube. You uh, so every single one went up. But NASCAR did have uh, the largest age jump over that period of time uh, than any other sport. And so that just kind of highlights, hey, this is why we need to live on these other platforms. This is why we need to capture the other audience uh, in ways like partnership with Motorship Games. Uh, motorsport games. So last thing I have to talk to you about, Dimitri, we're already over the 40 minute mark, which is usually what I like to limit my guests to just because I, they have other important things to do, like running a public company. Uh, <laughs> so last week, uh, you all acquired Kartcraft, which is an early access karting <laughs> simulation, has gained a really quick following in sim racing communities, uh, is a really high quality product. Why did you want to pursue that acquisition? Just as somebody who works with the physics of vehicles and with these kind of things, what was Cartcraft doing that was so, uh, so exceptional? You know, uh, and, and thanks for asking that question. We're, we're very excited about that. Our, our vision is to have a multidiscipline portfolio, right? So we have stock cars, we are getting into endurance and, you know, British touring car, the touring, uh, uh, type of vehicles and now carding and so on, right? There's multi types of disciplines out there and we want to participate in all of them. That particular game, Carcraft, right? The folks that done that are there, they've done an amazing job with a little amount of resources, but a big passion behind it. You look at that product and that is why it's raved by the critics, the community of the type of quality they put out. Right, the graphics that you look at their screenshots on on Steam of what Carcraft looks like, that's that's beautiful, and that is we wanted to bring that talented, passionate group into our realm. Right, they share the same passion that we do. They share the same technologies that we are engaged with. So there is a lot of synergy of not just bringing the team, not just expanding the discipline. But sharing this passion of creation of great, not just visually appealing, but exciting and fun products, right? Games in particular. Of course, it has a massive extension into esports as well. It, it was a no-brainer. So we're so uh, looking forward to uh, opening up our Australian studio because of this. It will allow us to have even a, a more of a 24-hour development cycle which means we could hopefully get our products out there even sooner uh, by continuous uh, around-the-clock development. And the quality of the team we're bringing on and the additional discipline, uh, we're so excited about. And our shareholder, Fernando Alonso, 
you know, has a big presence in karting. Besides being a world champion on, on many different disciplines, um, he has a karting school. He has all types of things that involve karting. So him in particular, and he, that's why he was quoted in the in, in the press release, uh, so excited about us bringing this. And one last thing to mention about karting, if you think about it, people traditionally used to enter the motorsport world through karting, no matter which, uh, you know, which uh, discipline they're trying to go into. But normally you see kids are karting out there to sharpen their skills and understand the world of motorsport, the world of racing. So we're so excited to add that uh, because it's it's international. It's a very widely understood discipline of racing. So let folks continue to play virtual karting now. And we picked up what we believe one of the best out there. Very cool. I can definitely say I was go-karting and playing Mario Kart as much as I could <laughs> uh, when I was a kid. So I definitely feel that. Nothing like uh, driving a cart uh, around one of those tire-stacked courses. Just always a great time uh, as a kid. Dimitri, absolute pleasure talking with you. Glad we could do this. Uh, this was Dimitri Costco, Motorsport Games CEO, publicly traded company, trading under MSGM. Dimitri, one final thing. What do you want people looking out for? Uh, follow it, watch it for coming from Motorsport Games in the future. Just, just watch us fulfill our vision. We have such a group of passionate individuals that cannot wait to tell their story through the games and esports that we put out. So track us, follow us on social. Uh, we cannot wait to share what we have cooking here. Love it. I'm definitely excited to see what you all put out. The sim racing genre is growing rapidly and is one of the coolest things uh, to come out of this tough COVID period. I think it was going to be one of the longest lasting impacts we see in the esports industry is this sim racing genre and the popularity of it and its ability to not to both get young people into racing esports and racing in general and also get old people into esports and make them understand what esports is all about so mutually beneficial to all generations here in the sim racing world dimitri thanks again for coming on this was a pleasure thank you mitch so much for your time thank you